Well, let's continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of Scripture from 1 John chapter 1. And we'll read the first several verses there together. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Let's pray together. Father, now what you really want us to, to know, teach us, what you want us to have by faith, reveal and give us grace to, to really grab hold of some things from you today. We confess together. We really need your help. I thank you for Scripture. I thank you for the life of the Apostle John and the things that are recorded in your word. Inspired of the Holy Spirit, give us grace now to to take what you say and and really have it uh, lived out in our real lives. As a church family, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for my church family. You've probably been in a situation this week where you were uh, reiterating what you're thankful for, and I just want to say I am thankful for my church family. If we just take inventory of the last month, uh, I I love just week in and week out togetherness, but then this month we've had Operation Christmas Child Saturday Party, Operation Christmas Child Collection Center, International meal with or, or uh, meal with the international students of Wesleyan College. The place is decked out for Christmas, and all of that is because a whole lot of Jesus-loving servants have made much of Him in their lives this month. And I just want to tell you how grateful I am uh, for it. I don't know about you, but there's something about the pace of life that. Uh, uh, well, I use an illustration. Yesterday morning, I did go to the Y, and I did get on that treadmill, and I did start running. And I'm not going to tell you how far into the run I was before little thoughts began to creep in like this. Just stop. Just stop. I don't know if it was the second piece of pumpkin pie or that third serving of stuffing. And I've learned there's a reason they call it stuffing. doesn't work well with sweating on the treadmill. So I just began to say, I just need to slow down. Slow down. I set out to do a certain number of miles. And I'm going to tell you, I did get there. Does that sound boastful or arrogant? I don't mean it that way. I just got there with a whole lot more walking and sometimes pausing than I needed to. And so what we're going to do together today, can I just say we're all going to get to heaven, those of us who've united ourselves by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we just say amen to that? We are going to get there, not because we're going to get there, because he's going to get us there. Friends, he's a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He is. And then David says, it's the first thing in light of that, I shall not want. 
That's an anchor for my soul because we live in a culture that's always telling you to want. You'll be happy if, you'll be happy when. No, no, no. I'm joyful because of Jesus. Amen? What's the world going to offer us that we don't already have more of and better of in the Lord Jesus Christ? But he does say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why do you think he uses the word makes me? Do you know what a nature of a sheep is? Now, let's receive this with some humility. If he's the shepherd, that makes us sheep. If you know anything about sheep, you're not going to find a less intelligent animal on planet Earth than a sheep. A, a less uh, threatening am, animal. You've seen Beware of the Dog. You ever walked up and said, Beware of the sheep? You know. You know why? Sheep are pretty harmless. They can't even defend themselves. Poor eyesight make bad decisions, and that's why the statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is so glorious. It's not a testimony to the sheep's self-sufficiency. It's a testimony to the shepherd's goodness. Amen? He has to make us lie down in green pastures. Every parent of a little child knows what it's like to try to make someone lie down, trying to convince them, this is what's actually good for you. I don't want to eat that. You need rest. I don't want to. The shepherd has to make us rest. I'm emphasizing this because, um, man, it's just been a season uh, in, in life. And for our church family, um, there's just been a lot of loss. And I think it's appropriate, uh, not just appropriate, sometimes it's necessary just to pause and acknowledge been a lot of loss. I heard somebody say recently, people don't fear change. They fear loss. Because loss is hard. We, we have John here before us. We've talked about this a little bit. Um, if you were to sit down and write a letter to your close friends, and say, I really want to lay out for you what I think is important, what would you say? Because in large measure, that's what John's doing. He's an elderly man. He's not long for this world. And he says, I'm going to write a letter. And as we've been studying together, do you know what he's emphasizing? He's emphasizing that, man, if you can have anything in your life. We just read these verses together, right? If you can have anything in your life, oh, aim for fellowship with God. Aim for fellowship with God. That's, that's, the, that's the only thing worth giving your life to. And you want to know the truth? Jesus Christ has given his life for you to have that. What is it that he's purchasing for you when he's on the cross? Fellowship. To have a relationship with him. You know, John's elderly when he writes the letter, and he's lived quite a life, hasn't he? he he's seen some amazing things. That's what he's emphasizing. You know, there's God. He's been from the beginning. But, but, but here recently, we've heard some things. What's John heard? There's a number of things we could emphasize. Here's one of my favorites. It's early on in the Gospel of Mark. And the Bible records that there's a man who, uh, in, the, in, the, in the original language, it says is consumed with leprosy, right? Mark chapter 1, I think it is, and he comes up to Jesus. This is a man who's not supposed to come near to anybody, but he's seen something in Jesus that he starts to take steps toward him. And the man says, if you're willing, you could make me clean. And here's one of the things that John heard. He heard Jesus say, I am willing. 
be cleansed. And the Bible says immediately that man was healed. If you keep reading in John's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Mark's gospel, John was sitting there when he heard a noise he wasn't expecting. Somebody's putting a hole in the roof, right? And then he looks up. One of the things he beheld is here, here comes a man lowered who's paralyzed by his friends. And there's Jesus. And he hears Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. We could go on and on. In fact, that's the point John makes in his own gospel. He says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. John's seen some amazing things, but John, as he writes first, John has also endured significant loss. His brother, James. And if you know the ministry of Jesus, James and John were always together. Jesus said those are the sons of thunder, right? John's lost his brother. When I say loss, uh, what I guess I mean is not, not so much he doesn't know where he is, right? But man, it, it's significant when someone you've walked with and talked with and prayed with and served with and ministered with dies. And James, his brother, doesn't just die. He has his life taken from him. In fact, John's lived long enough that most all the apostles have died. John's been imprisoned. John's been persecuted. John has seen, he'll talk about this in 1 John, John's seen people he thought were devoted followers of Jesus walk away. That hurts, doesn't it? So, so we've got, well, on one hand, John has received these amazing blessings of what he's seen, what he's heard, what his eyes have looked upon. And, and at the same time, he's endured significant loss, blessing and loss. You know about that, don't you? Do you know why you know about that? Because you're a human being living in this world, right? You, you know about both. Now, I'm encouraged by John's example because if I'm not careful, I'll begin to lose sight of some of the blessings, you know what I'm saying? And start focusing only on the loss. There are seasons of life when the losses and the heartaches seem to come one right after the other like waves in the ocean, right? Just one, you say, oh, I right, got my balance and then here comes another. A few weeks ago when, when I was preparing for the Operation Christmas Child uh, party there on Saturday... I opened up a file on my computer. I, I shared this with the Cornerstones, and I'll just say briefly our last Cornerstone Bible study. And when it was over, I left, and I kind of had this thought. What we just talked about and shared in our smaller group would be good for the whole church family to, to maybe think about together. So I had opened up this file uh, trying to track down some notes of a previous lesson, and uh, something that I knew Kind of about, I saw, you know, sometimes when you see it, something, something written on a page, it's just so much clearer to just underscore. The recent years have just been years of loss for us. The, the file that I had opened was the funeral services I've done in the recent past. 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. And, and part of the hardship of the recent past is most of our rhythms of grieving have been turned upside down a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? 
So, so the Bible never says don't grieve. It does say don't ever just grieve. For example, Paul says to the Thessalonians, in their season of great loss, so many of their precious friends have, uh, have departed. That's what he's talking about there in 1 Thessalonians. He says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So it's possible to grieve and hope in the Lord at the same time. That's, that's really the only way to be like John when you are lived a whole lot of years. You can still be full of joy. You know what uh, the Bible calls this when you grieve with hope? The Bible word for this is lament. It's something unique for Christians who know something about the world to come, who know something about the world as it once was, and yet are living in the world as it is. Do you know what I mean? And so the result of that is we, we lament. We long for something that's not yet here, but will be. Amen? He's going to lead us home. And in the, in, in the interim period, we learn what it is to lament. It's one of the many things we see the saints in Scripture do well. I'm helped by this, and, and maybe many of you will as well, if, if I just read the names of people who have died in the recent past, people who are important in our church family. So I'm just going to take a moment to do that. It's important for us to remember Don Rich, Judy Turner, Sue Taylor, Daphne Brown, Greg Walker, Marie Odom, Ronald Young, Barbara Rogers, James Riggs, Jake Hoggard, Peggy Patterson, Debbie Garino, Troy Miller, Mary Frances Taylor, Ann Jackson, Sylvester Bullock, Joy Strickhauser, Kay Hargrove, Michael Vick, Joyce Ray, Walter Bedingfield, Jody Sharon, Betty Rose Winstead, Ruth Kane, Joycey Miller, Daphne Bowles, Donald Strickhauser, Bruce Burnett, Christine Joyner, Millette Sori, Annette Patterson, Patricia Strickland, Lolita Davis, Elsie Coppage, Harold Anderson. Precious people. One thing I love about our church is uh, I can remember just about where they each sat. You know, Significant people. 34 precious people in just a few short years. That's a lot of loss. And I think it's, again, helpful to recognize the significance of that. I mean... You probably have some names that you'd add to the list of people that you know and love that are precious to you. And maybe weren't there Thursday. And there's already a part of your mind that's thinking of Christmas. And it's a, a, this absence. It's hard. And the Bible doesn't water that down. Through many tribulations, right, must we enter the kingdom. And this has not been an easy season in which to grieve. As I thought of uh, those precious people, one of the things that I'm thankful to the Lord is that I can remember about just about how all of them laughed, you know, how the, all of them smiled. And this, this is a reminder for us how much we need the words, promises, and presence of Jesus. So if you ever, maybe you're there right now, 
in your life and you feel like the most important people in my life are all gone, John's been there. John knows what that's like. For him likely to come around the communion table and look back when he was at that table with Jesus and to think to himself, and most everybody who sat at that table in that upper room, they're gone. But it won't be long until I'm there with Jesus. So, so what's the best way to navigate loss and grieving while, as John says, still to be joyful? There's only one way to do that, friends, right? It's only one way. It's not a matter of if you'll go through hard things. It's just a matter of when. So how do you go through hard things and have joy? It's only one way. And John tells us what it is. You have to have fellowship with the Father. Because if you don't have fellowship with the Father, the grief, the, the, the grief will be overwhelming. One of the things we see clearly in the early verses here of 1 John is in the midst of deep sorrow, you still have joy. And I'm not talking about... Uh, just put on for show joy. I mean, deep-rooted joy. And that's what John wants for his church family more than anything. He wants them to have fellowship with God, an authentic, vibrant, deep relationship with the Father. That's the only kind of relationship with the Father that endures suffering because it's the only kind of relationship with the Father that's authentic and real. Amen? And when God draws near in the person of Jesus Christ, We see something, and John has seen it again and again and again. That's what he's saying. We've heard it. We've seen it. We've looked upon it. And what is it that he has seen? He sees Jesus always taking steps towards those who are suffering, taking a step toward the widow at Nain, taking a step toward Mary and Martha upon Lazarus' death, even though when they don't think he showed up when he should have, right, Jesus shows up to the sick and to the hurting, to the alone, to the confused, to those in darkness, as we saw last week. And I just think so encouraged by what we looked at last week when Jesus gets in that boat and he goes across the sea and he liberates one person. The community begs him to leave and he gets in the boat and he goes back. Oh, for one. He really is the one who leaves the 99 to go after the one. And maybe you're the one. And he will come after you with a gracious relentlessness that will change your life. The Old Testament promised that the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So you grab a hold of those two words. He's near. Because when you're suffering, that's the first thing you begin to think. Where is he? Bible answers it. He's near. He doesn't feel like he's near. He still is. Trust his promise more than your feelings. We are not a good interpreter of God through our circumstances, right? And it's not just that he's near. Just give you a little pat on the back. He saves the crushed in spirit. So if those are the descriptions that would fit your life right now, brokenhearted, crushed in spirit, God speaks directly to you in the scripture. And so here we are with the apostle John in the last years of his life. We find a man who, in spite of so many things that are overwhelming, He's he's not embittered, he's not angry, he's not cold. He's as much about the advancing of the gospel as he's ever been in his life. We see a man who's full of joy and life, and friends, that's because of Jesus. And we've got 1 John open, and I want you to hear from another apostle, and I'm going to give you some encouragements to build your life on. Paul, 
another apostle, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is, anybody know this verse? Gain. Paul writes that at a time in his life when he doesn't know how the future is going to go exactly. He's in prison. He's about to stand trial. And he doesn't know if he's going to get a death sentence or not. And he says, I'm conflicted, but honestly, if I'm, just, I'm paraphrasing what he says a little bit. If I remain, that means fruitful labor. But I'd rather depart. Listen to what he says, for that is far better. So what I want to do for just a few minutes is, is to just to specify how it is gain to die. How it's gain to die. Number one, it's gain to die because when we do, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're, we're going to be relieved of all the pain of this world. So we're not going to water anything down. There's some serious pain in this world, right? Physical pain. Come the resurrection, we will have physical bodies that do not suffer. Can I get an amen? We will have physical bodies that do not suffer. No arthritis. Lungs and livers and kidneys and hearts and every vital organ will function the way the Creator designs them to function. You notice about the miracles of Jesus um, in the Gospels is when he heals somebody, he heals them all the way, right? He heals them thoroughly and immediately. And that is a picture of the life that is to come. But it's not just physical. Because for some of us, honestly, the, the hardest pain isn't physical. It's, it's emotional. So, so in the life that's to come, no more discouragement. No more, no more relational hostility. In heaven, won't this be awesome? You'll never have to worry, is so-and-so going to show up? Because, man, we just... God's made a, a way that David and Uriah can sit down at the table together. It's amazing, isn't it? No more accusations, no more misunderstandings, no more isolation, no more loneliness, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more dementia. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that's a big category, y'all, former things. They're all going to pass away. This time of year, uh, one of the movies that I really like to watch is, is the movie Home Alone. It came out in 1990 when I was 11, and I, at that stage of my life, was the target audience for that movie. And it worked. I mean, back in those days, we had the dollar movie. Anybody remember this? Right on Sunset. I think there's a Wells Fargo bank there now, but it used to be when I was growing up, the dollar movie. And Home Alone stayed at that dollar movie for most of 1991. Came out in November, and it stayed, and, and it was staying at that theater because I kept going. Just kept going, kept showing up. And I've seen that movie 30 times. One of the, the, the last time I went to see it, I think somebody had told, because they knew me showing up, he said, uh, that movie is it's, it's leaving this weekend. So I, I showed up, and it was just me and two other guys. And one of those guys laughed harder than I've ever seen a human being laugh in my life. He fell out of his chair, and he couldn't get back up. He could, kept trying, he's laughing. So anyway, but, but I've seen that movie 30 times, and still I get choked up at the end. Do you know this scene? Old Man Marley. 
Kevin, at the end, he looks out the window. And, and, you know, John Williams and his Christmas musical score is playing in the background. And Kevin opens the window and he looks out. And there's old man, I'm about to get choked up talking about it right now. Old man Marley, who had told Kevin he and his son haven't talked for years. And there's his son. And they hug. And he picks up his granddaughter and hugs her. And they start walking into the, I just love that scene because it's a scene of, of reconciliation of restoration, just a, just a glimpse. And I'm pretty sentimental, so the snow and the Christmas music, it probably has a factor in there too. But man, heaven's going to be like that. Our deepest pains are not physical. They're much deeper than that. And they're going to be relieved. All that is in the world, this is 1 John chapter 2, is passing away. Second, we will be given deep and profound rest in our souls. John had heard the promise that Jesus made, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. So I would tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should have a measure of that right now. As a follower of him in this life, you should have a measure of that, what will come in completion and in abundance and forever in the life that is to come. But he wasn't talking about a kind of temporary rest, sort of a power nap. He's talking about a condition. You know what I mean? It's not just a nap. It's a, condi- it's a, it's a rest of the soul. I was reading this week, there's a place in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's part of a um, recording studio, but they've got a room in there that eliminates all echoes, all background noise. And the gist of the article was that people walk in, they close the door, and they turn the lights out, and people can't take it because there's no noise. And, and so the whole article was about what happens to a person once they go in. You know, you're not used to this. There's always some background noise. So they step into the room, lights out. All you can hear is yourself. You start to hear your own heartbeat. You probably can't hear it right now, but I'll tell you, for all other noises, you start to hear, they say you can even hear your blood flow. Most people make it, article said, five minutes. And they say, I need to get out of here. Why? Man, it's really hard to be alone with your own thoughts. That's a huge thing now, you know, like, you just got distraction constantly. And one of the reasons is I can't sit still alone with my own thoughts. I need distraction to take me away from here. When I'm talking about rest, I'm talking about the elimination of all of that. Amen. The presence of Jesus. One of the ways I love to think about the Lord at Christmas is that Bethlehem, he's God with us. We just sang that. Emmanuel, God with us. At Calvary, he's God for us in our place. At Pentecost, he's God in us. Holy Spirit has come to live in us, and in heaven we will dwell in his presence forever. So come unto me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. It's not a reference to sleep, although we can make the connection. Many times we have trouble sleeping because of the state of our soul. It's a statement about existence. You'll have a restful existence. It's a, it's a uh, restoring of all that was lost in Eden when Adam and Eve sought to place, take the place of God as, as God. So no mind humming, humming, humming. No waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to go back to sleep because of stress or anxiety, but rest. No longer worried ever. Hallelujah. Amen. 
So if you were to take inventory of your thought life, what percentage of your thoughts are, are restless? Are restless. Tuesday this week, I, was, uh, I, was, I get a little email each morning about the news and just give a quick overview of, of what's going on. And, and this past Tuesday, it referenced the death of a man named Michael Gershon. I don't know if you've heard of him before. He was a presidential speech writer and, and then had a, uh, had a column in the Washington Post. And I wasn't all that familiar with him, but in the email, it gave you a link to what uh, many people think is the best article he ever wrote. And the article was about when he dropped off his oldest child at college, his firstborn son. So I clicked it, and y'all, I wasn't quite prepared to read it. Here's what he said. I think it was written in 2013. But The general drift of my thoughts as my wife and I dropped off my eldest son as a freshman in college. I put on my best face, but it's the worst thing that has done to me so far. The moment at the dorm is implied at the kindergarten door, at the gates of the summer camp, at every ritual of parting and independence. But it came as a surprising thief, taking what I value most. The emotions of a parent, I can attest, are an odd mix, part pride, part resignation, part self-pity, even a little something that feels like grief. And he said, 18 years is a window that closed too quickly. But my, those days have been the greatest wonder and privilege of my life. And to my son, there will always be a room for you. And the reason I wasn't prepared for that article is because I'm about halfway through my oldest child, senior year of high school. And reading that, I started crying like it was the ending scene of Home Alone. I mean, there I am again. Some of you, that's been the season of your life. Loss in that way. It's part of our restlessness. And this is true in my life. I always feel like I'm running out of time. Why is that? Because you weren't designed by God to run out of time. You weren't designed by God to say goodbye. It's not how he created us. And yet Paul and John, as they get towards the end of their lives. And Peter makes this clear as well. He says in 2 Peter, God's made it clear to me that my time is short. By the way, even if you've got 100 more years, your time is short. But anyway, they don't feel like they're running out of time because time is not something you run out of if you belong to Christ. Time is something you make the best use of if you belong to Christ. Walk as wise, not as unwise, Paul says, making the best use of the time. So the time's going to be used one way or the other. It's just a matter of, are you making the best use of it? Third, we will finally be home. Finally be home. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The whole human race is homesick for God, most without knowing it. So two, two quick implications about this, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8. 
First, you'll never be fully at home while you're in this body. So can I give you a gracious exhortation? You will never be at home as long as you're in this body, so stop trying to be at home in this body, in this life. Don't put your confidence and hope in this world. We've been told this world is passing away. So as followers of Jesus, we're not homeless in the world. We're on our way home. There's a big difference between the two. But we're not there yet, and we do not make the best use of the little time we have when we try to make this world our home. The second implication is the obvious one, but let's grab a hold of it. When we die, we go home. When we die, we go home. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to bring us home. And number four, we will be with Christ. Of all the things you look forward to about the life that is to come, I hope you are most looking forward to being with Jesus. And really, friends, the other, things, the other three things we listed are not possible for a person unless their greatest desire is to, is to be with Jesus. It's one of the things that John's trying to encourage them in 1 John. If you love something or someone more than Jesus, heaven for you would not be pain-free. You wouldn't have rest, and you certainly wouldn't feel at home. So let's hear the statement again from Paul in Philippians chapter 1. It has two parts. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. They go together. Dying is gain only for those who, for whom living is Christ. And then if you want to look, uh, how, how do you know? How do you know? That's why the Bible is so helpful. Paul says, hey, if I'm going to stay around, that means fruitful labor for me. Amen? That's how he describes the possibility of living in this life a little bit longer. So if living for you is Christ, that means you live a life of fruitful labor, not a life of complaint, not a life of anger, not a life of what can everybody else do for me, but rather like Paul, even if we're in prison wrongly, we still live a life of joy. I mean, one of the great things about the letter of Philippians is Paul says, you know, the, the uh, Roman guards that I've been chained to, some of them have come to faith in Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? Why? Because he's unlike anybody they've ever met in their lives. Here's a man of joy. Here's a man who's looking to the life that is to, to come. In heaven... All of our pain will end. And in conclusion this morning, I want us to appreciate that that's true because the man, Jesus, came from heaven and experienced pain he did not deserve and pain he did not have to endure. Jesus suffered not because he sinned. He suffered because he loves sinners. Jesus walks with us in our grief. He walks with us in our sorrow and promises the sufferings of this world will not have the last word. 
When we all get to heaven, we sing this, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But I want to encourage you that that will be a day of rejoicing, but this one can be too. In fact, this day can be a day of rejoicing because we know the rejoicing that that day will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. When we look to Christ, we can be thankful that he stepped into and experienced all the loss that heaven will liberate us from. He endured the cross, despising its shame, the Bible says, for the joy that is set before him. So, here's a little bit of an invita- uh, the invitation and response. I'm going to ask a couple of questions in light of what we've thought about. In your life right now, if you were to be honest before the Lord, what are you becoming more and more of? You're becoming something. What are you becoming? More and more joyful? More and more uh, content in Christ? Or more embittered? More angry? We see from the life of John, the life of Paul, the, the life of Peter, and many others we could point to in Scripture, that they're becoming more and more content in the Lord. Second, this is only helpful if you're honest, amen? Is your heart increasingly set on the life that is to come or in this life here and now? Can't have a divided heart. And then third, and this will be the last question I ask for you to consider during our time of response. Do you need to turn to Jesus and ask him for grace and help as you grieve? Last week, we looked at the darkness and some of the uh, characteristics of the darkness, but I'll tell you one. That thief is so wicked that in the midst of your suffering, he sees opportunity to turn your heart against the Lord. So my encouragement to you is don't shut down or shut him out. He really can help. And on the authority of the word of God, I'll say he wants to. Every step Jesus takes to the hurting is a willing step full of compassion and power. So as a church family, let's continue to exalt the name of Christ in the days that we have together. So let's stand and we'll pray together. We'll have a time of response together. I think a a great, um, sometimes like a little spark to a fire, to, to a time of response, for you in your life, if you, if I'm, I'll start a sentence and you finish it with the Lord's help. If you bow your heads with me, here's the, here's the confession before the Lord. Father, today, I need your help too. And you fill in the blank. 
Based on what we've studied in the scripture today, it might be, Father, I need your help not to be angry all the time. Father, I need your help because I've endured some things in my life that fruitful labor for me, I, I just don't know. God, I need your help in the midst of a season of loss to be fruitful. But God, I need your help because my heart is so tied to this world. Father, all of us need your help. And praise God Almighty for the help we do have in Jesus. Oh, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We only get to heaven through Jesus. And that you, who knew no sin, who knew no suffering, suffered and died in our place. It's in Christ alone our hope is in. Give us grace now to lament together, to grieve, to to look at what has been with gratitude to look forward in hope so that in this moment today, that one of the few days we have, it be a day of joy and praise unto the Lord. We're not able to do that apart from your help. So help us, Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.